Get that water out of the goddamn huddle. I tell you when you get a fucking water break. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today is November 21st, 2019. We got the Atlanta Falcons coming up this week. Injury report came out today. Today's Thursday. Damar Dodson didn't practice Wednesday, but returned to practice Thursday. Will Golston has an ankle injury that's had him limited all week. Carl Nassib still dealing with the groin injury, so he's also been limited this week. Anthony Nelson has a hamstring injury that sidelined him last week, so he hasn't practiced all week. JPP has a knee injury. He didn't practice Wednesday, but returned Thursday in a limited capacity. I told you he didn't look right during that Saints game. Yeah, he was real. Wasn't he sluggish? Or was he just not? Yeah, didn't he, have any oomph? Both. Both. MJ Stewart still dealing with a nagging knee injury, and he hasn't practiced all week. And Jameis Winston is on the injury report with that ankle injury he sustained last week, but he's practicing at full capacity. So that's all we got on our side. On the Atlanta side, Desmond Trufant has a toe injury. He was limited Wednesday, but returned on Thursday to a full capacity. Matt Ryan has an ankle injury. He didn't practice Wednesday, but returned Thursday. Julio Jones has a foot injury, didn't practice Wednesday. Full participant Thursday. Devontae Freeman, the running back, he's had a foot injury. He's been out, I think, a few weeks. He he hasn't practiced all week. And safety Kamal Ishmael has a concussion. He hasn't practiced all week. Defensive end John Kaminsky has an ankle injury. He didn't practice Wednesday, but returned to in a limited capacity on Thursday. Austin Hooper, who has an MCL sprain in his knee, he hasn't practiced all week. Tackerist McKinley, defensive end, he's got a shoulder injury and he hasn't practiced all week. And then Adrian Claiborne has a groin injury. He didn't practice Wednesday, but returned Thursday in a limited capacity. How did I not know Adrian Claiborne was with the Falcons again? Or still with the Falcons? Wait, didn't he go to... Yeah, New England, I think he went to New England and then came back to the Falcons. And he's not as they're starting. No, I don't think so. No, he's behind Tacris McKinley. He was on the injury report. Yeah. This Falcons team, it's been a tale of two teams, really. Going into their bye week, they were 1-7, I think. They allowed 31.3 points a game. And they had a total of seven sacks in eight games. And only four takeaways. After the bye week, when they made some coaching changes, Dan Quinn relinquished play calling duties on the defense. It's a really weird configuration that we've talked about before on the podcast. But linebackers coach Jeff Ulbrich took over first and second down play calling on the defense. And then Raheem Morris, who he's still listed on the website as an assistant head coach slash passing game coordinator slash wide receivers coach, but he's been moved to secondary coach, so they need to update their website. And he's just calling plays on third down. Third down and in two-minute situations. That's weird. It is really weird, and you would think, as we've kind of experienced with the Buccaneers, that when you get too many cooks in the kitchen, maybe there's 
a little bit of confusion, but it's worked the other way for the Falcons. It seems to be really working out for them because they made this change and came back from the bye. They're 2-0 after the bye. They beat the absolute shit out of the Saints and the Panthers. Yeah, they really beat the mess out of the Panthers. It wasn't even close. It was bad. The Saints, the score was 26-9. to And a reminder, that was the game where Drew Brees did not score a touchdown, which was the first time he had done that in the Dome. And then in the Panthers, the score was 29-3. to So held them to no touchdowns. Kyle Allen threw four interceptions. He had a rating of 47.5. He had 31 completions, 50 total throws, had 325 yards and four interceptions, and he got sacked five times. You know, I was looking at his comparison to Jameis Winston, and he's got 10 touchdowns and nine interceptions, which is actually worse than what Jameis has got. He's got... No, it's not worse. James has got 19 touchdowns and 18 interceptions. It's almost as bad. So about the same. About the same. And, of course, Allen has only started, uh, what, five games, six games, eight games. Yeah, he's not playing that great. Well, he's playing all right, I guess. Not against the Falcons, though. Ugh, this matchup makes me nervous. Worse than any other this season. Oh, I'm excited about it. Are you really? Yeah. I love games like this. Where we have the potential to get the crap knocked out of us. Yeah. Listen to this crazy scheduling. The Falcons played the Saints, then Carolina, then they play us, then they play the Saints again, and then Carolina again. So they have a five-game division streak right in the middle of the season. They went to the Saints and to Carolina. They're home with us, and then the Saints will come to Atlanta, and Carolina will come to Atlanta. That's crazy. It's a heck of a time for them to get on a roll. I know. They've also had... Some shakeup in the defense besides just the coaching change. They've been shifting guys all around. Now, Vic Beasley was at the start of the season just playing at one spot on the defensive line, but now they're starting to move him around, which we talked about this with the Saints preview, how the Falcons' defensive line just caused a lot of chaos moving around in lots. So Vic Beasley was part of that. Then they've had some injuries. Desmond Trufant was out. So they had a rookie, Kendall Sheffield, playing for him. Now that Trufant came back, which he came back during the Carolina game, Sheffield moved to Nickelback. And then they had DeMonte Kazi. He was playing nickel. They have him back at free safety because they've lost two defensive backs to injured reserve Keanu O'Neill and James Cyprian. So... They With injuries, they tried to move guys around and didn't have as much success. So some of the guys came back and they were able to reconfigure it. So they had a really good game against Kyle Allen, picking him off four times. They hadn't had an interception in seven games. And they hadn't had a turnover in four games before the Carolina game. They still have a minus eight turnover differential, which is 27th in the league. The Bucks have a minus 10. So we're 29th in the league. So about evenly matched there. That's something that's going to change. And normally, like like Bruce Arians said, turnovers come in bunches. You know, and, and the Atlanta Falcons are a perfect example. They you know they go four games or however many games without a turnover, and then all of a sudden they get what seven or eight in two games. And we saw that last year with the Buccaneers. We had a drought of a few games, and then I think it was the Carolina game where Andrew Adams got three. 
Yeah. Yeah, and our guys are getting real close, man, real close. That that bunting, he almost had a, a beautiful interception last week. It was, a, it was a great play on the ball. So, you know, it's coming, and, and Matt Ryan will throw some interceptions. He's in that, that dirt-cutter offense. Yeah. That uh, Their philosophy is just rip it. Just rip it. <laughs> spin that ball. <laughs> you can't mess up with Matt Ryan, though. You know, our, our secondary has to be on point. If you fall down, slip. Uh, get confused in coverage, Matt Ryan's going to make you pay for it. Get juked out. He's probably one of the best in the business at that. Like I said, it doesn't appear to me like he goes through progression so much as it is he looks for opportunities on the you know the defense screwing up. And you know, believe it or not, we don't have a lot of that. Which brings me to another point. I wanted to address this. I got a lot of flack in the last podcast for you know saying that our secondary played well. I mean, I'm not saying they played great. Uh, I definitely see the potential there for them to play great, but... Uh, what I'm saying is that they can't be solely blamed for the uh, all the passing yards we're giving up. You know, a large part of that falls on the linebackers. According to my calculations, about 30% of the passing yardage is on the linebackers. In particular, uh, Kevin Minter for the first couple of weeks when Devin White was out, and now Devin White. And, you know, it's not really a, a putting down the linebackers. I mean, they're having to go against some crazy good receivers I think Devin White just hasn't caught up to the speed of the game yet. And the the scheme, you know, understanding what they're supposed to do. It does seem like they get really confused a lot with who, where they're supposed to be at, who they're supposed to be covering. And you see it all the time. Levante David will be yelling at people or pointing or right mm-hmm. before the ball is snapped. And then if the quarterback's any good, they take advantage of that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just like... Last week with Drew Brees, I felt like they were targeting Devin White a lot <coughs> because they know that's the weak link in our coverage. And you could see in the tape, guys would be telling Devin White basically where to go, where to line up, what to do. And he's the guy with the communication thing on the back of his helmet, right? Yeah. He's the one that calls out the plays. So he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing? Well, I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, but it, it's really more of just a hesitation. You know, he, he does. And there was one play in particular where he got juke just a little bit. He went just a little bit too far. Michael Thomas took advantage of it. You talking about that big 41 yarder? Yeah, yeah. And that that was designed to get Michael Thomas matched up with Devin White. They the Saints did it perfectly, and you could tell in that clip Devin White was just hesitant. You know, if he would have, and and you can also see in the clip that. I think it was Carlton Davis and Levante Davis both pointed to Devin White saying, he's coming your way. You know, that's your guy. And Devin White kind of went inside instead of running with Michael Thomas. And it was just a it was just a brief little stutter. And that was enough for Thomas to blaze right by him. And I see that quite a bit. It's just, you know, he's just, like you said, it's the speed of the game. You know, you can't do false steps. You can't hesitate. And we're asking our inside linebackers to do a lot. Now, Levante David's not having a problem with it at all. But he's also, what, an eight-year vet? Right. And we're, we're really asking Devin White to do a lot. You know, I'm not saying he's bad. I, I, I did say he doesn't seem like a fifth-round or a fifth top-five draft pick to me. I'm saying he can't turn into one, but he's not out there. He's not a game-changer. He's not, you know, making plays left and right. I mean, he's made a few plays this year, but he, he's made more mistakes than he's made plays. And to me, that's how I judge a player. It's one of the reasons why I didn't like Gerald McCoy. You know, because he made way more mistakes than he did plays by probably a factor of three to one. And that's just unacceptable to me. Especially when you make $100 million. 
Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I say the offensive line is playing well, too, which we looked at the, was it Next Gen Stats? No, ESPN, they had a thing where they No, were, I think it was... I think it was Pro Football Focus. No, I'm pretty sure it was ESPN. I'm actually positive. Cause <laughs> you don't want to admit that it was Pro Football Focus. No, no, it was ESPN because Jenna Lane tweeted it out and she said our... Okay, all right. Our analysis. And they had the the Buccaneers ranked 12th best in the league at, on the offensive line in pass rush. And I would agree with that. I mean, I might would put them down a little bit lower, maybe 14th, 15th. But like I said, I think they're above average. Not a whole lot above average, but they're above average. What they're getting paid, they should be a lot better. Well, that's but true. That's a fair point. They don't they don't make a lot of mistakes in that sense. They make more good plays than they do bad plays, and that's what I look at. But, yeah, but when they do make a bad play, it just it's glaring. It, it stands out. You know, like Donovan Smith last week giving up that sack. But you got to figure that was really the only sack he gave up. And you know, I mean, he he played fifty one passing downs. It's interesting that you mention what the offensive line is getting paid. Somebody asked JPP this week, and I think it might have been Jenna, but I can't really recall, about other people's effort on the team. And he basically said, not everyone's getting paid when I'm getting paid. Like, your pay is commiserate with your effort. <laughs> he might he, he might believe that because <clears throat> his effort has gone up double since he's gotten paid. Last week was the first week where I saw him kind of moping around like he used to. It, I don't know if it was because he was, and it was in the fourth quarter. I don't I, recall him ever loafing. Well, I mean, it wasn't as bad as he used to. But there no, was, I don't, I don't, really, I don't know what you're talking about when you say he used to. Who are you talking about? JPP. Oh no, I'm talking about Diamond Smith. Oh no, no, yeah. no. Okay, missed that part of it. Yeah. No. <laughs> JPP, no, no. JPP doesn't loaf. Right. He's always well, been someone that gives a lot of effort. So when he said, "Not everyone's getting paid," when I'm getting paid, is that the mentality that you don't give any effort? Unless you're getting paid. I mean, Brent Grimes had that attitude. Right. And and Donovan Smith might have had that attitude. It might be an attitude in the NFL, you know, that you will work as hard as you get paid. And not that, I mean, these guys aren't getting paid minimum wage. I mean, they're getting paid a lot, but it's all relative. Uh, but JPP last week, you know, he didn't give as much effort as he normally does. And like I said, I think it was because he was hurt. He looked, because normally JPP will get in on the tackle. If it's anywhere near him, he's going to dive in. He's going to hit guys. You know, he's going to be pushing people out of the way so he can get in. He just wasn't doing that last week. And normally he'll, you know, run and chase the ball carrier down. He wasn't doing that last week as much and everything. He he looked hurt, like he was playing hurt. So when they said he had a knee injury, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But you could tell he was frustrated with himself, too. You know, after the play, he would just, you know, put his head down or hit himself in the helmet or do something because, you know, he just seems like he just wasn't playing up to the level he expected. But back to the secondary uh, yeah, I mean, they're not playing good enough. I'll admit that. But, they, you know, they're not playing bad. And when you say they're not playing bad, what you mean is they're not getting juked out. They're not getting, they're not falling down. They're not, they're giving a lot of effort. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not uh, getting lost on their assignments. You know, I I can't remember the last time that's happened where you see guys out of position or losing their man. Which had happened all the time last season. No, it's happened all the time for the last five years. You know, I mean, the Chicago game at, what was it, last year or year before last? Last year with that, Justin Evans. Yeah. Was that Justin Evans or Ryan Smith? Justin Evans. Justin Evans. Okay. I always get them too, too confused for some reason. Yeah, that was just, I mean, it was like the guy had no idea what the playbook was. He was just lost out there. I, I have never seen a player that bad on the field where it just he knew had no idea what he was supposed to be doing. And they just torched us because he was leaving guys just wide open. So what is it that the secondary is not doing? 
Like, are, are they not defending past? Are they there, but they're not yeah. defending the past? Are they not tackling well? No, generally, they're right there. I mean, they've got pretty decent coverage. What's happening is it's, it's a bunch of young guys, and they're getting uh, rubbed off the routes a lot. That's the, probably be... <laughs> The biggest thing I would say, if you if you could take that away, we would probably we'd be in the the top. What, what are we at the, the bottom right now as far as pass yards allowed? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would say easily, easily twenty twenty five percent of the passes they've allowed has been because our quarterbacks have gotten. <laughs> Molly's over here just smiling, waiting for me they, to say. They've rubbed gotten off. what, Ralph? They've gotten rubbed off. <laughs> they've gotten uh, picked or confused with. Uh, you know, these bunch formations are not, not necessarily confused as much as just that they're not moving in traffic well. They're running into each other sometimes. Uh, a lot of times they'll try to avoid the pick and they'll go out too far and just leave enough space. But, I mean, generally they're doing they're doing pretty good, I think. Could Especially, they be more physical yes, in that sense? Yes, that's it, yes, be more physical. I mean, if you're getting ready to be, you know, if there's a guy coming at you and you can tell he's trying to get in your way. I don't know what the rules are, but plow him over, push him out of the way. Uh, they got to figure out something because it happens to them quite often. That would be that would be my number one thing. And it seems like the most of the coaches identify that, so they do it a lot. Exploit our weakness. Right. All right, let's talk about Jameis. And that is in no way a dovetail from the last conversation. <laughs> <laughs> he is actually, he performs the best of our division opponents against Atlanta. So while he's... Three and four against Atlanta as the Buccaneers quarterback. He has a 67% completion rate, 1,985 yards, and 20 touchdowns to just five interceptions. Wow. Now, is that a testament of Atlanta? I don't know. You could maybe make that case because their secondary hasn't been great the past few years. He's also rushed 25 times for 123 yards and two scores. The 20 touchdown passes he has against them are the most he's thrown against any opponent. The second most being the Saints with 11. Now, we do play them twice a year, so. The Atlanta game, gosh, I think it was the first year that Jameis played. I, was, I wasn't I was a big fan of Jameis you know, when we drafted him, uh, basically because of all the things I still say is <laughs> an issue. Uh, you know, so I was, I was on the fence with him, but that Atlanta game, when – I want to say it was like third and 17. We were like on the Atlanta 40. And Jameis Winston ran and ran into that pack of Atlanta defenders. I think there was three or four guys he slammed into and then spun out of it. They all thought they had him. And he spun out of it and ran and got that first down. I was like, woo! I was so impressed with that. I said, all right, I like this guy. Because he just had a lot of fire. But it was that Atlanta game that made me a fan of Jameis. Hopefully we'll see that again this week. Hopefully not, to be honest with you. I don't want to see Jameis running. I don't want to see him Well, scramble. like the fiery Jameis. Yeah. That's what I want to see. He's got a lot of family in Atlanta. He said he's got quite a few people coming to the game. I want to say 80. I, I didn't. 80 people? Man, that's Well, now that I said that, I don't know. <laughs> that's a lot. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. <laughs> he's been talking about it this weekend. Anyway, he's got a lot of people in Atlanta coming to see him play, like family members. Damn. And then, of course, the reunion with Dirk Cutter. Right, yeah, and Dirk Cutter. But Dirk will be up in the box. Oh, he coaches from the box? Yeah. That figures. Clipboard he, carrier. He don't want to get dirty. Yeah. <laughs> How do they get dirty? They're in a dome. I never realized this. The Saints play in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, and Atlanta plays in 
Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, it seems like a conflict of interest there. <laughs> Got no kidding. Sponsoring two of the teams that are the same rival. I don't know. In addition to Mike Evans having... I'm sorry. In addition to Jameis having a good record against Atlanta, Mike Evans does as well, which makes sense. Yeah, the two go hand in hand. Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. In 10 games against the Falcons, Evans averages 85.6 yards a game, 15.3 yards a catch, and has eight touchdowns, which is his most against any opponent. Really? That's all? Eight? In 10 games? Yeah, I guess that's not bad. Did you know the Bucs are the NFL's sixth highest scoring team? Yes, I did know that. This is the same thing from last year. Yeah, it's from the past few years. We can sling it, but we can't clinch these games. Oh, it's our defense. You know, our defense is good. I and mean, just imagine how different Jameis would play if he had a monstrous defense. And I don't understand why we don't have a monstrous defense. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. You know, at the beginning of the year, we you know we talked about this. I mean, I was like, our defense is incredibly good, or it's going to be incredibly good. And remember last year when Dirk Cutter was on the press conference and they asked him something about how to fix the team and he said i don't know yeah he was just totally baffled right bruce arians basically did the same thing in his last press conference uh he was like i don't understand why we're not winning we've got the talent these guys are coached well we practice well but then when we get out on the field on sundays it just doesn't come together there's something there there's something there now the 2011 season was the most miserable football i've ever watched that was when Raheem Morris, who is who he was our head coach, now he's at Atlanta. So we're going to be seeing Raheem Morris, Dirk Cutter, and Rich McKay. They were all three with the Buccaneers. Two of them were head coaches. McKay was our general manager that won the Super Bowl with us. That 2011 season, I have never seen a team give up like that. You know, it was after the Chicago game. And if you listen to this podcast, we talked about this. I'm going to write a book about it one year. You know, I'm just going to... I'm, I'm going to do it because I want to know what the hell happened. I've never seen anything like that. You know, we went 10 and 6 the year before. We come in, I think we were 4 and 2. We go to Chicago, in, or we go to London to play Chicago and then just tanked. And then the rest of the year, it was obvious the team quit and gave up. And then you heard stories about something happened on the plane ride over there. I think it was Kellen Winslow Jr. jerking right. off on the plane. Right. Well, that's what I think now, too. Because when you got a guy like that in the locker room, Ugh. and you've always got weirdos. I mean, anywhere you work, okay, you can have weirdos. But that's just like another level. Yeah. So something something seriously drastic happened there. I can't remember what my point was with this. We were saying that dirt cutter. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Baffled. The 2011 team. Now, it, the when the season was almost ending, and, I, you know, I'm not a guy that says, you know, we should fire people or cut people and all that stuff. That was the only time in my football-watching span where I said, we need to get rid of everybody on this team. Everybody. I don't know who is the problem, but that football team was poisoned. You know, when you when players turn on a coach like that, which is what happened. I mean, they did not want to play for Raheem. I don't know what happened. Or, or they didn't want to play for the coaches. I don't know if it was Raheem himself. But the players just quit. And we had great talent on that team. We probably had more talent on that team than we do on this team. You know, we had like Garrett Blunt. Akeem Tlaib. Akeem Tlaib. Josh Freeman. Tenard Jackson. Tenard Jackson. Mike Williams. Yeah, I mean, we were just stacked. You know, Gerald McCoy. Was Claiborne on that team? I think Claiborne was on that team. I don't know. But anyhow, uh, Shiano comes in. Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett, yeah. I mean, we had a... Talented, talented. When these guys obviously had talent because most of them went on to Super Bowl winning teams. Donald Penn. Yeah, we had Donald Penn, Joseph. Davin Joseph. I mean, it was an incredibly talented team, and they all just quit. 
something happened and they just quit. And we ended up losing the next 10 games. They just quit. And I said that, you know, you, you can't have that. We got to just get rid of everybody. We got to start over from scratch. Everybody. Well, Greg Shano come in and he pretty much got rid of a lot of people, but he didn't get rid of everybody. And there's only one person left from that team. And that's DeMar Dotson. Now, I like DeMar Dotson. I like him as a person. And I like him as a player. But there's something wrong with this team. Now, I don't think it's DeMar Dotson. I think it's it's bigger than DeMar Dotson, you know, because because once you go from the players, then you go from the coaches, and then you go to the GM, then you go to the front office, and then you go to ownership, and then you got to throw the fans in there. So that's the hierarchy of how everything goes. So you start off with the team. You move players around. You cut players. You get different players. They're like the easiest solution. Right. Well, we've done that. We've replaced everybody except for DeMar Dotson. We've replaced everybody for DeMar Dotson. And we still got the same damn team. Okay. We've gone to the coaches. We've replaced every single coach multiple times. <laughs> and we still have the same team. You know, we've replaced the general manager. We still got the same team. So now it's left to ownership and fans. You can't really replace those two. So, you know, I'm saying, you know, DeMar Dotson could possibly be the poison in the locker. Now, I'm not, I don't think that at all. But if you go with like hierarchy, you go, you got to say, well, let's, let's get rid of DeMar Dotson and see if that helps. Because he's, he's the only leftover from the 2011 team. That's when the Buccaneers went downhill, 2011. 2010, we came out great, 10 to 6. Okay, here, I'm going to counter this point. I don't think it's anyone in particular. No. You know the experiment where they have the ladder... And they had the monkeys, and anytime the monkeys would go up the right, ladder, yeah, they'd point. shoot them with the hose, mm-hmm. and eventually the monkeys would just avoid the ladder. Right. And, and there was a banana up at the top of the ladder. Right. To get them to go up there. Right. So the monkeys learned to stay away from the ladder, mm-hmm. and even when they introduced new monkeys, those monkeys similarly completely avoided the ladder. They had no idea why. Right. Even though they weren't getting... They never experienced the hose. Right. So I think... That it's been, that, yeah, I think, it's you know, from, and we've said it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. They're not used to winning. No one on the team is used to winning. They've come from other winning teams, but I don't think that's enough to counter the poison that's there. But why don't we have a monstrous defense? We haven't had a monstrous defense. God, I can't remember. I mean, in 2012, we had a decent one with Shiano, except for the, it was basically the same thing. We could stop the run. We had a lot of tackles for losses, but we couldn't stop. The pass. And that's the best it's been for a decade now. And we're at the same place we have been forever in, in the past decade. We, you know, we, if we had a monstrous defense, we'd be killing it. I mean, we would absolutely be killing it. And I don't understand because at the beginning of the season, they played really well, especially that front seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shaq Barrett racked up nine sacks in four games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, uh, a lot of teams are, you know, they're just getting the ball out quick. They're not allowing our pass rush to get to their quarterback. And the secondary really relies on that pass rush to make yeah, play. Right, they go hand in hand. But that's what we need. We need a monstrous defense, or at least an above-average defense. And that would put take so much pressure off of Jameis. Yeah, so then he doesn't feel like he's got to do everything. Right, I mean, he wouldn't have to go toe-to-toe scoring 28, 35 points a game. And I just don't know why it isn't happening because we've got the talent. Oh, God. We got Levante David, Vita Vev, Dudamakonga Sue, JPP. On paper. Shaq Barrett. We should be killing people. On paper, they're phenomenal. They're easily a top 10 defensive line. 
And even watching the All-22, I mean, these guys do good. That same ESPN ranking thing, they I think they got it from Next Gen Stats, but they did a ranking system, or it was an independent analysis company. I can't remember. But they had the defensive tackles who beat their man in less than three seconds, and Vita Vea was, I think, number five. Yeah, and it was like 25% of the time. Mm-hmm. I want to say he's yeah. beating his guy. Yeah, and they had the... Uh, offensive line, uh, guys that hold their defenders for over three seconds. Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen were both on there. They were in the top ten. And another one, and I think, I don't know if it was Donovan. It might have been Donovan was up there, too. Yeah, we had We had four... three defensive linemen. I mean, offensive linemen. I'm pretty sure. We're going to look at it. I'll tweet it later. Yeah, so uh, there, there's, there's something missing. It's been missing for a long time. Dirk Cutter couldn't figure it out. He was flummoxed. Their cutter was flummoxed. He, I've never seen a coach sit up there and say, I don't know what to do. And then to have B.A. practically do the same thing in his last press conference, <laughs> he's like, I don't know why we're not winning. And I'm sitting here saying the same thing. I do not understand. You know, I've watched a lot of game film, a lot of game film. Ralph still has two giant boxes of VHS tapes and Buccaneers games on it from over the years. From the 90s, yeah. And, you know, this is a good team. They're talented and they play well. But for some reason, I don't know what it is. Uh, we just can't get that fierceness on the defense. Just just enough to take some pressure off the offense. I think if we took pressure off the offense, we would do really well. Now, one of the things I, I see as a problem is we're having a really hard time, and we have for a long time, stopping people in the red zone, our defense. You know, uh, the offense will give the ball up. You know, we'll do a turnover or something like that. The opponent will get the ball on the you know, 18-yard line or 25 or something like that, and score in like two plays. And that's happened a number of times this year. Uh, you know, it wouldn't bother me if we designed our defense that way. See, now, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, you play to your your strengths. Uh, that was supposed to be the philosophy of this coaching staff, too. Right. So if we're going to give turn the ball over, which let's not lie, James Winston is going to turn the ball over, okay? Then design your defense to, for that. You know, design your defense to be very, very good within 30 yards. You know, hell, let them let them come down the field. But once they get to that 30, that's as far as they're going to go. You know, they're going to have to kick a 47-yarder every time, just about. And that would be a good, you know, good thing to do. But we're not doing that. Our defense is, uh, right now, it's very generic. You know, what we're calling and playing. And I don't like that. I don't, That drives me crazy because I was really excited about Todd Bowles coming in here because, you know, he... He's had he, in the first few games. He was really throwing some interesting, good stuff in there, and we got beat by New Orleans last week because they threw interesting, you know, some very exotic blitz packages and nice stuff. We're not doing any of that. We're just doing basic crap. Which I understand because the secondary is so young. But why can't you do it with your front seven right. and let your secondary do some basic stuff, but the front seven do some more complicated looks? Yes. Yeah, but I, w- I would th- I would think that you know a good plan would be to build your defense to be very, very good in 30 yards. You know, and the closer you get to that end zone, the much more difficult it would be to score. I don't know. We, we need to do something because what we've been doing for 10 years isn't working. And nobody, nobody knows why. I mean, some of the, you know, Bruce Aarons is one of the best football minds in the business. He's been doing this his whole life. He's been the on every level, and he's won on every level. He's not used to winning. This guy, this guy knows what a winning team is, what it looks like, how it operates, and he can't get this team that away. He doesn't know why. 
And I'm right along with him. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know. Now, you look at Atlanta. They were worse than we were. As a matter of fact, we joked about this all year long. We've said, you know, one of the positives of the Buccaneers is that we're not Atlanta because they were just sucking. They were horrible. And then they turned it around like that. That is so unusual for that to happen, too. Yeah. If a team tanks, they're in it for that whole season, the long haul. It is a really steep uphill battle. And for them to be able to turn it around like that with just some simple coaching changes, normally those kind of coaching changes reek of desperation. Mm -hmm. And they usually turn out to be a disaster. Right. But for some reason, it's working in Atlanta. And, you know, I mean, those guys, their defense is playing hard football. They're playing hard and fast football. I mean, they're tackling hard. They're gang tackling. They're flying all over the place. And they've simplified it. They've simplified their their defensive scheme, but you know they just got this mindset where they're like they don't they don't want to be looked at as an embarrassment. And I think that you know they felt like they were being an embarrassment. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a very strange thing. Something. I mean, we brought in Super Bowl winning defensive players at Bo Allen, JPP, uh, Clinton McDonald. It was a guy from the Eagles that went back. Vinny Curry. You, you know, I mean, to, to bring in that winning. Mentality. I mean, we had Daryl Rivas, you know, probably the best cornerback of the past 20 years. You know, he comes to Tampa and does nothing. Gets a paycheck. Yeah, so I, I think it's bigger than, uh, there's, there's just something there. There's something there. I don't know if it's the city, you know, the environment. I mean, there, there are a lot of strip clubs in Tampa. <laughs> you know, so, and it's a party town and it's very laid back. I don't know if that has something to do with it. I don't know. I don't know. But we were able, able to overcome that. If that's the issue, we were able to overcome that for a decade and have a winning team. I don't know. Don't know. It's it's mind-numbing. So anyhow, what do you think is going to happen with Atlanta? I think they're on a streak. I think they're going to take us. Oh, my gosh. I will say, I think we're going to have a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> They've kept New Orleans and Carolina touchdown list, but I yeah, believe that, in us. That Carolina game, I was watching that Sunday. And Atlanta was just out there physically just beating the crap out of these guys. I was, I was sitting there going, holy crap. I couldn't tell if it was Carolina was just playing extremely poorly or Atlanta was playing very, very good. But they were just, they just dominated that game. There was a fan poll and fan confidence in the Panthers went down to 5% wow. <laughs> from like 40-something the week before. <laughs> wow. Yeah, when you get beat up by the Falcons like that. Yeah. My score prediction, I'm going to get, you're going to be mad at me for this. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go Atlanta 24, Buccaneers 13. Wow. That's my prediction. Just based on the last two weeks, how they've played and how we've played. Let's be real here. You know something? Wait, give your score prediction. Okay. I think it's going to be close. Now, I wouldn't have said this, of course, three weeks ago when Atlanta was floundering. I thought that this Atlanta game was going to be basically a give me. But I think it's going to be close, but I think we're going to pull it out. We're going to Atlanta. Yes. Uh, that benefits them because it's a faster field. Uh, Julio Jones is the best receiver in football, I think. Uh, Bruce Arians did say that in his press conference. He said Julio Jones is the best receiver. I love. <laughs> that's probably one of the reasons why I love Bruce Arians so much because I say stuff, then I watch, and he's confirmation bias for me. I watch <laughs> the press conference and I'll be like, "Hey, that's all the stuff I say." But um, Julio Jones is the best receiver in the league, not because of his catching, which his catching is elite, but because of his physicality. This guy blocks better than most offensive linemen, and he is physical out there. He will beat the living crap out of the cornerbacks, and our cornerbacks are not the most physical. Uh, you know, Michael Thomas, he's a physical receiver. 
but nothing like Julio Jones. I mean, Julio Jones will just elbow you in the face to get you out of the way. I think he's going to be a, a huge issue with us because our cornerbacks just are not physical enough. And this is the first time these guys have played him, too. And they're not. I think it's one thing to see it on game film. It's one thing to know he's going to come in and rough you up on the routes. I think it's another thing. You know, everybody's known this for, oh God, how long has he been in the league? 13 years or something, something like that? Something like that. And... You know, it's another thing to go out there and actually have this guy beat up on you. So I think he's probably going to do pretty good. I'm starting Calvin Ridley in fantasy. Wow, you have he's no faith in him. I'm starting their kicker. You, what's his name? You, oh, here he is right there, Q. Uh, I've also got Brian Hill, too, but I'm putting him on the bench. He's not going to run well against us. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, although, you know, our running defense has not been that well in the past couple of weeks. Not as good as it has been. A lot of that's because of the holding, but... Our guys shouldn't let shouldn't be letting offensive linemen hold them. You know, that's all about that hand play at the snap. You know, don't let those guys get hold of your jersey. So anyhow, it's going to be a close one. I'm going to go with uh, 28-25 Buccaneers. Ever the homer. Well, I, you know, if we're a crappy team, I would say, yeah, we're going to get beat. But we're not a crappy team. We have the ability to beat anybody on any Sunday. We also have the ability to lose against anybody on any Sunday. I'm just waiting for us to have the turnaround that Atlanta did. It's coming. It's coming. There's no way you can have this good of a team, this good of a coaching staff, and lose like this consistently. Something's going to happen. Something's going to snap or what's the word I'm looking here? Click. Click. Yeah, click. I've been waiting for it all season. Oh, me too. Well, I thought the Rams game was it. I know. But it, it's week 12. I know. can't believe the season's almost over. Is that what, five out more of time. games? Yeah. I can't believe we could still get the number two seed. <laughs> That's just insanity. Ralph. I know. Hey, weirder things have happened. Atlanta's still not out of the playoff, hun, either. No, the Bengals are the only ones. All right, let's wrap this up. We got a kid-free night. It's a date night. It's a date night. We're here with you people. Uh, I did want to say that uh, Levante David is going to have a meet and greet at Walmart number 713 at 12650 US 301, Dade City, Florida, Friday, November 22nd from 5 to 7 p.m. Oh, that's tomorrow. Yep. So if you're not going to see Frozen, go meet Levante David. It's sponsored by Coke, too, I think. Yeah, go meet Levante David, Dade City. That'll be tonight because this podcast will be out tomorrow. So Friday, November 22nd. Friday, November 22nd from 5 to 7 p.m. Go check it out. Get an autograph. Take a picture. Put it on Twitter. Tweet at us. Yeah, tweet it at us. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us. If you want to stick around and listen to the, pro- the press conference with Bruce Arians, you can do so. But this is going to be the end of our podcast here. Until next time, go Bucks. Okay, now participating, uh, DeMar Dotson, not injury-related, just a vet day off. Uh, Will Goldston was limited. Carl was limited. Anthony Nelson was out. Jason Pierre-Paul was out with a knee. MJ Stewart. Jameis was full participant, so... Good start to the week. Bruce, how frustrating is it uh, in terms of O.J. Howard specifically when you've coached a player that is kind of supremely talented and is not playing up to his potential? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating for him most, I think. And uh, he's had opportunities. You know, we try to try to fit him in the game plan every week. And... Uh, you know, he's had a misfortune of juggling a couple of balls this season, and uh, there's still six games for him to get out of that funk. Bruce, after he had that, that fumble that turned into the interception in the first quarter, he wasn't targeted. Was, was that 
by design? Yeah, Cam, you know, we, we like Cam in that, in that situation a bunch, so um, he, got, he got all the targets. You had mentioned that you weren't a believer before in sports psychology, but now you think there's something to it. Are there any plans to maybe get him um, a, a little bit of coaching in that department? Uh, that's not up to me. That's up to him. You know, it's available for our law guys, and uh, they know it's available to them, so if they want to use it, they can use it. And have you ever seen, you know, with, with certain players, you know, that have the kind of gifts that he has, or where there is a, an adjustment period, a longer adjustment period when they're learning a new offense? Or just oh, yeah, totally, totally. It happens all the time. Just look at the, the Falcons. They're the team that was kind of floundering most of the season. Last two weeks, I mean, they've had a complete turnaround. Is, mm-hmm. is it an example to the guys in there that, you know, that, that can happen? Yeah, I mean, just watching the New Orleans film, uh, when they beat them in New Orleans, it was, a, it was a different group of guys, same guys, but it was a different group of guys. And, uh, you know, uh, there seems to be more energy. Uh, especially defensively up front for them. And uh, their coverage and their pass rush is sinking very well right now. The last couple of weeks you've had uh, several, two in the red zone um, this last game where Jameis isn't prepared for the snap. It could have cost you the first time down there. You ended up throwing it on third down and getting a touchdown. Time, it well, he was ready. He just he hadn't said anything about snapping. The, Ryan Jensen just snapped it. So, so I mean, <laughs> obviously, every play has to start there, right? So what's, oh, yeah. what's happening? Because I mean, that's what well, it was. Ryan just couldn't hear, and instead of turning around and look, you know, he snapped it. And then the uh, same thing with the second one. After we talked about it on the sideline, for a veteran player, that's inexcusable. That happens at home and then not on the road. And on the road, you think you're dealing more with, with no. Yeah, on the road, we'd probably be in a silent count. And basically, I told him, on, if you can't hear down there, you silent count because there was a bunch of Saints fans in that end zone. Bruce, uh, third down, this offense last year was one of the best in the league on third down. It's kind of taken a step back in the rankings. Is, is there something you'd point to for why there's been some inefficiencies on third down, moving the chains? Uh, mainly too many third and longs. You know, we're, we're third and seven to 12 way too much. Uh, because of either penalties or negative plays. Bruce, you're, you're obviously the best and most experienced play caller on this team, given your track record. Are, are you happy with the job that, that Byron's oh, done? Oh, ecstatic. I think he's doing a heck of a job. How much pressure does it put on your offense when your defense is allowing an average of around 31 points per game to have to? Uh, the more pressure on our defense is our offense giving the damn ball up inside the 20 to put our defense in that situation and give up those points. Um, so it's not all defense. Um, when you get the ball in the 25, inside the 25, three times and or four times in three weeks, that's, that's not on the defense. They did a hell of a job of two weeks ago start turning those into field goals, and this one this one was a touchdown on the first play. But. You've made your living being one of the best play callers in the National Football League. When you're no longer in that position and you're orchestrating you know, the whole thing, how – often do you have to fight the urge to want to jump in there and, and make some of those calls? Not very often. Um, the suggestions are made when we don't have the ball and uh, or on the timeout. You know, we just collaborate a little bit. It's been well documented how many times Jameis has been sacked this year, but there's been a lot of coverage sacks as well. Mm-hmm. It seems like collectively the receivers aren't getting consistently open. What are you seeing there? Uh, it's a combination. Bad blocking and not getting open. So, uh, He's done a good job in the last three weeks of throwing the ball away. And uh, some of it was on him trying to make plays early in the season, and he's finally adjusted to getting rid of the ball, some left-handed. Uh, I'd rather see it right-handed, but uh, uh, he's getting rid of it. Does he still have to get rid of the ball quicker? I know that rush this past week was just 
Yes and no. I mean, the guys still have to get past the first down. You know, they have to get to their depths, and uh, and we got to block a little bit better. Uh, our backs. I thought Dari blocked pretty well, but the rest of the guys didn't block as well early in the ball game uh, to allow him. We had first third down. Chris is open. He's ready to throw, but Rojo didn't get across fast enough to block his blitzer, and he's got to pull the ball back down. Now he's covered. So little things like that. Just from like a play calling standpoint, um, T.G. Logan's in there, you know, for a play, gets an 11-yard catch, moves the chains. Why, why don't you go back to that particular play or him? Never run the same play twice in a game, in the passing game. Never have and never will. Give, give defense too much credit. They've seen it already. They've been, they've been playing this game for, for 100 years, um, <laughs> even before I started covering them. And uh, the number one stat, as, as you always talk about, is takeaways and giveaways. Yeah. And here you're sitting minus 10 mm-hmm. after 10 games. Yeah, and we were plus six. I mean – is there any more analysis that has to be done past that number? No, especially when it's in the first quarter. You know, that game changes if Levante's toe isn't that far out of bounds. It's a game of inches, but that turnover changes a lot of the makeup of that ball game. We got to quit giving it away, and when we take it away, get the damn thing. And and the Howard giveaway was also critical. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. You know, they'll, they'll go down that many points that early. You know, your game plan starts sliding away. Justin Watson was uh, taken in the fifth round two years ago. He's just been used on special teams. Is there any thought about mixing him into the offense as a reason he's not gotten some chance? Uh, right now he's the five, and, uh, you know, he'll play in certain situations, but uh, he's just the five. Bruce, you mentioned multiple times as far as <coughs> winning now, not rebuilding this year. You've been around a long time. Two-thirds into the season, how realistic was it to be able to, you think, to be able to fix all the problems that held this team the last two seasons? I mean, very realistic. You know, we just haven't done it on Sundays. Um, and it's not a talent issue. It's a, it's a performance issue, turning the ball over. Where's this team? The, the, the easiest parallel in terms of this team learning new schemes and adjusting to your system is probably the 13 team in Arizona. What would you say the biggest difference have been with this team and how that team was able to turn things around as quickly as they did? We might have had five first-year, second-year players on that team. It was a very veteran team with a very solid defense. They just didn't have a quarterback. And when Carson Palmer walked in the room, it changed the entire outlook of the game for us. And then you know, we had two rookie running backs play really well. Tyron Matthew was a rookie who was way beyond his years. And uh, so the, we didn't have very many young guys. Our first-round pick broke his leg early. That hurt us. But uh, it was more of a rebuild on offense than a rebuild on defense. You were talking about sports psychology before, how you're becoming a believer in that. Is that something that this team needs across the board, just given the No, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. I mean, some kids need it today. I, I studied to be a counselor. You know, some kids need counseling, some don't. Uh, these younger kids today, um, they're used to it. A lot of them need it. Trying to, trying to find that, that number three option in, in the receiving game, especially when, when Mike and, and Chris mm-hmm. are getting as much attention as, as maybe they've gotten in some games. How much has that been a challenge? And, and just, you know, where, where do you kind of see that right now? Well, I thought Scotty played a little bit better. You know, he's starting to develop, and it's about that time. Usually rookies at Thanksgiving. Um, 
Brashard's open. He just he's he not getting his opportunities very up, but he's doing his job. Our tight ends can do a better job. I thought Cam did a good job with his targets, and uh, you know that that position when they're playing double zones, you got to win inside like T.J. Logan did. On the whole, like a lot of your investment is on the offensive lines, and your captains are there. And mm-hmm. Donovan Smith you paid a lot of money to. He's given up the most sacks this year on the offensive line. You need those guys to, to be your guys, to, to be the ones that, that sort of lead your offense. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, again, I don't know if they're all his. Sometimes we're holding that ball back there, whatever, but uh, uh, he gets credit for some. But I think overall, uh, I can't say they've played poorly yeah. other than two snaps. Right. I don't expect, I don't ever anticipate something like that from those guys, right, right. you know. The, the long ball to Scotty that was just short of the touchdown on Sunday. How would you compare his speed to the fastest guys you've coached? I mean, he's probably in the eighth, ninth, or tenth of, of some of the guys I've had as some really good ones. <laughs> Are you? Um, we talked about the defense. It seems like you're disappointed in your offense, right? Overall, mm-hmm. the last two, three weeks, just because turnovers. Turnovers. Yeah. Last five weeks, you know, right, right. and uh, and defensively, just not creating enough. Yeah. You know, when we're getting our when we're getting hands on balls or whatever, we're not we're dropping interceptions. You know, things like that. Right. Fumbles are on the ground. We're not getting them. You know, um, and they usually come in bunches. So, hopefully, we've saved our share for the last six. For a guy like Howard, who inexplicably is trying to juggle the ball behind his body, I don't know if he's trying to put the cart before the horse. Um, in your experience, because like you know that the mental aspects of playing this, these positions. I mean, what is it a case where okay, you know what, the guy needs to go back and work on his fundamentals a little bit more, like kind of rethink his process. What do you think the solution is within a situation? Probably all of the above. Well, it's fundamentally, it's mentally. Um, just keep playing. Just try to get better every day.